Well, happy Resurrection Sunday to everybody. Thank you for being here today. I'm Pastor Roger. Visitors, we are honored that you chose to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, We take that very seriously, and, and we are just honored that you chose to come and worship our Lord and Savior together with your family here at Grace Family Fellowship. So in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. What a great picture. Sitting on the stone. See, when God makes a point, he makes a point. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them saying, greetings. Just two days before they had seen him. On the cross, suffering and dying, and his first words are, sup? (laughs) Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love the resurrection story because it is the story of what is of what God, not just what he can do, but what he is doing. That he is not limited by anything in this world. And that he overcame what we know to be the greatest single barrier, and that is death, and he overcame it with ease. And so he has overcome all. And so this morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, You know, I know we normally talk about just the the resurrection story, but today I want to get into something a little different, and that is, what is the significance of the resurrection story? What happened because of the resurrection? See, it wasn't just that Jesus himself wanted to be resurrected and wanted to prove to the world that he could do it. He was accomplishing something. And when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, and then was raised back to life, He was inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth. He was showing us that what we have known and what has been is not what is going to be moving forward. And so today we're going to look, we've been, if you're visiting with us, we've been doing a a series through the book of Ephesians called Reaching Higher. And we're continuing that series today because the, the scripture just lined up really well with Resurrection Sunday of seeing what the power of the resurrection has accomplished. And so look with me as we're going to see what it means to be reconciled and unified 
in Christ in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11, going to verse 22. And it says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I know that was a, a, a lot to kind of take in because Paul just likes to kind of heap phrase upon phrase. But let's, uh, let's start by looking at the way things were before the resurrection, okay? Because the world was and is divided by sin. And when I say divided, I mean divided. How many of you have noticed that our world is a bit divided right now? We're, we're just a little divided on, on a few issues, right? Well, what if I told you that's nothing new? The world has been divided for a very long time. And so when you hear in the world today, they're like, oh, we're divided like never before. No, you're divided just like you've always been divided because it's only in Christ that we can have true unity. And it's part of the curse that fell on this world. You see, in the Garden of Eden, when man fell into sin, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, division entered the world right then. And three key things happened at the fall of man. They became divided. We all became divided from God. We became divided from ourselves. And we became divided from each other. Those three things happened the instant sin entered into this world. How do I know that? Because we, t we read in the book of Genesis that when they sinned, their eyes were open. And what did they do? They saw that they were unclothed. They saw that they were naked and they covered themselves. So they became divided from themselves. They became ashamed of themselves. And they hid from the presence of God. They became divided from God. They became fearful from God at a point that they are now hiding from him. And we read then when God starts to question Adam, he says, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. Thus Adam and Eve became divided from each other. And what we have seen is that this division has done nothing but grow from that time. 
understand that the world has never been united. There has been division in the world ever since then. So what happens? The, the world get, gets so evil, and it just continues on in this path that, of course, we have Noah's flood, and God is like, hey, we've got to start over. And he changes things genetically in man, beginning in Genesis 6. He says, I won't contend anymore. And so he changes. And Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, something happens within them. And genetically, man begins to change. And after the flood, they all go different directions. And that is where all of our races come from in humanity. So what we do know from the Bible is that what we know as, as all of the different races that we call you know, ethnic backgrounds, They all were a result of the fall. Not one race on this earth right now can claim to be the original race of Adam. It was all a result of the fall. And then things continue to get worse, and we have this moment where mankind wants to build a tower into heaven. We don't know exactly what this means in the Bible, but God looks at it and says, no, nothing that they do will be impossible, can't let this happen. And so what does he do at the Tower of Babel? He further divides humanity through confused languages. And so humanity starts to spread out over the earth then. They're no longer united in language. There are different languages, which leads to to, to different cultures arising on earth. And so they are more divided. And then we hear the story in Genesis of Abraham. And God starts to deal with this man Abraham, and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a child, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to become a great nation. And God creates through Abraham the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. And you know what? Mankind becomes further divided at this point because God is dealing directly with Israel and not with the rest of the world. And so the world then in this fallen state came into this understanding that there were the Jewish people and the Gentiles. There were now two groups of people, those whom God dealt with directly and those whom he did not. Now, this was not God saying he liked one group better than the other. His will at that moment was to deal with Israel and Israel share his light and his love with the rest of the world. They didn't do that. They took his dealing with them as proof that we're better than everybody else, and they kept it to themselves, except they didn't actually follow God. And so that brings us to what Paul says here, because we were divided then among all kinds of lines. We were divided among, uh, because of language and culture, and then we became religiously divided. And so... Listen to what he says again. He says, therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles, most all of us in here are probably Gentiles, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What Paul is saying is that sin and man-made distinctions based in that sin separated the world and left some people in the dark feeling that they had no hope. And that darkness has perpetuated itself in our world. 
that there are some people who have hope. There are some who don't. You have to be like this in order to have hope, to be accepted. And if you don't look like this or act like this or accept this, this political thing or this or whatever, that you somehow are on the outside. And so it left some people feeling that there was no hope and it gave others a false sense of security that they were completely fine. And it's no different today. When we look at our world, what do we see? Anybody ever feel hopeless looking at the division in our world? Do we look around and we're like, my goodness, can we ever figure this out? Physical differences, cultural differences, racial differences, religious differences, they can all feel like they are impossible to overcome, and it can be overwhelming. So if you look at this world and see division, hatred, and think to yourself, it shouldn't be like this, you aren't wrong. Because it's not what God intended when he created the world. But it is the effects of sin in this world. And I know it's not popular today. You know, we, we like to be very positive in today's world. But let me tell you, there, without the discussion and understanding of what sin is, we can be as positive as we want. We will never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And it is only the truth that can set us free. It doesn't matter how comfortable we feel in a lie, it's still a lie. And so we have to understand that the world is in the condition it is in because of sin and brokenness. Sin always brings division. Always. Sin promises unity. It brings division. Sin promises fulfillment. It brings emptiness. Sin promises power and then destroys you every single time. And what is sin? Sin is anything that is contrary to the holiness and nature of God. Any thought, any action, anything that we willfully do against the nature of God. And so you know what the Bible tells us? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, our problem is not that we need to just get a little bit better in this world. Our problem isn't that we need to get along with others just a little bit better. Our problem is that we have rebelled against God and we are sinful and we are children of wrath who need salvation. That is the problem in this world. Now, are you ready for some good news? Jesus removes those old division lines. He does. He removes them. You see, Jesus is the only one who can overcome whatever division you're facing, whatever sin you are facing, whatever problem you think is, is what's holding this world down. Jesus is the only one that can truly remove it. You see, listen again to what Paul says here. He says, but now, you see, as there was a time where we were without hope, where we were divided, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And by both, what he means is Jew and Gentile. The world at that time was divided, in Paul's mind, into two groups, those who knew God and those who didn't. Now, the thing is, is really the Jewish people at that time, he's not saying they didn't know God, they were just close to God. See, later he's going to say here, those who were near and those who were far off, the Jewish people were near, but they weren't in Christ. 
And he says, so yeah, God talked to you, but you still got to believe him. And so he said he has made both one and has broken down in his flesh, that is through the cross, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. How many of you have been promised unity and found only division? Don't we hear that like every four years? I'm going to bring them together. And you know what? We haven't found anyone yet that could bring us together. And you know why? Because it's only in Christ that unity can be found. Everything else is a false foundation. And so it says, but making peace. And he says he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, Paul was preaching a revolutionary thing here. He's saying what Jesus did in the resurrection, what Jesus did through the crucifixion and the resurrection was to break down every barrier of division that sin had created. And when I say every barrier, I mean every barrier. Okay, every single one. It didn't matter your race. It didn't matter your gender. It didn't matter your location. It didn't matter your status living or dead. You see, we look at it, we look at it if you're dead, that's, that's the end of it. But what did Jesus do? He conquered death. And so now in Christ, we may have loved ones who are also in Christ that have died, but we can look at it and say what? What do we say? We say, hey, because of him, I'll see them again. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, heaven is a reality. And so we have to look at this and say what Jesus did on the cross was the single most extraordinary act in human history. And it's not just that his personal death, that that he chose to do that. He took all of the division, all of the separation, all of the sin that caused it upon himself as a sacrifice to get rid of all of it. He alone paid the price for the sin of the world, for your sin, for my sin, for their sin outside of here, all of it. He died so that we might live. But it didn't stop there. The price wasn't just paid. He then was raised from the dead on the third day, Resurrection Sunday, which we celebrate today, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and was glorified as he ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. And so through his resurrection, all things, including death, are under his control. He has created not only a new kingdom, but he has created for himself a new people. And so let me, get, let, let me make sure we understand this. The old division lines are gone. He doesn't care. God does not care about the past. He doesn't care where you failed. He doesn't care about your sin now. That's paid for. But we have to come to Jesus in faith and accept that new reality that he has given. And that reality, one, is that we must first confess that we are a sinner. If we do not deny ourselves and first confess that, that we need a Savior, that we have, in fact, rebelled against God, then he, we, we won't hear what he has to say. But if we will confess our sins to him, 
and believe that he died on the cross for us and that he is seated at the right hand of of Father in heaven, that he was resurrected, we will be saved. And we become a part of his new creation. If you believe and if you put your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a part of his eternal kingdom that he has created. And you are a part of his body, which is the church, which is the people that will last for all eternity. And so Jesus did come to remove all of that. Anybody in here ever had, you know, did you grow up with maybe a sense of division that you thought was normal and then you, you know, you kind of grew, maybe you became a Christian, you got saved and you realized, hey, we're all created in the image of God and you had to let go of an old division line. Or you saw a group of people as the enemy and then you, you saw in, in, in Ephesians that he says, hey, we struggle not with flesh and blood and you had to wrestle with, okay, wait, people aren't the enemy. And we had to let go of a division line. You see, what Jesus did on the cross is he took all of those division lines, all of them, the hatred, the sin, the death, and he declared it powerless for all eternity. He declared them irrelevant for all eternity. And he made faith the way to life. And so he took the burden of performance off of all of us. We don't have to perform for God. You know why? Jesus did it for us. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that his righteousness could be imputed to us simply by faith. Just believe it. Just ask Jesus and he will give it to you. And so the problem that isn't properly understood is after the fall of humanity in the garden, everything that happened after that was under the curse of sin. That's the problem. Everything that happened was tainted by sin. It wasn't until Jesus came and lived his perfect sinless life that he was the only one that could say, sin has not touched me. And he created a new body, the church. And so there will be one last division in the world. And that is those who are saved and those who are unsaved. But that's it. It's just a matter of faith now. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. It just matters whether or not you're in Christ. And Jesus has taken care of that and made it where it's not about the act of the flesh. It is about faith in the spirit. And so in John 6, 63 through 64, it says, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Christianity is not just about acting better. Christianity is not just about being good. Yes, we strive for holiness and we strive for righteousness, but that's because of what Jesus has done for us. Not to earn the love of God, but as a reaction to the love of God. He took that performance off of us, and he says the flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. See, the real question for Jesus here was who believes his message? Jesus has freed us to love and be loved by doing the work for us on the cross. It is a matter of faith now, and Jesus makes it clear. His words, when believed, lead to life. It's that simple. 
Do you not only believe in Jesus, that he died and was resurrected, but do you believe Jesus and believe what he believed? See, that's a, that's a little deeper question, isn't it? A lot of people can confess that Jesus was alive and even believe that he died on the cross. But do you believe his words and believe what he believed? What did Jesus believe? He believed he was the son of God. He believed that he was the only way to see the father in heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the father except through me. Do you believe that? Because when we believe that, this is what I love. When we believe that, all of those old division lines just disappear. And I mean it, they just, they just vanish. So that Paul was able to say in Galatians 5, 6, remember, to him, the world was split into two groups, Jewish and Gentile. And the sign of that was, of course, circumcision in males. And so he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, Paul's entire world had changed. And he said, you know what? All of these old division lines that I have held on to in my life, they don't matter. All that matters is the fact that I love Jesus Christ and that that faith leads me to love others. That's all that mattered now. Every man-made label, every artificial divide that sin used to label and separate people disappears in Christ. Amen? Do we really believe that? Because if we do, we can show love to anyone. See, we're all accepted by faith because Jesus has, as Paul said, he himself, here in Ephesians 2.14, he says, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, I've heard people talk about that, that really the church of Christ, you know, we've got to focus on diversity. No, no, we don't focus on diversity. We just love everybody. And you know what? When we love everybody, you know what happens? People are welcomed. People are loved. And we're diverse simply because we see each other as people. We see each other as children made in the image of God. We see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ who all needed the cross because we were all sinful and broken and missed the glory of God. And we have all, those who have been born again, have been made new by faith, by grace, because of what he did for us. And so what does that mean? That means that true unity is only found in Christ. What the world promises with unity, it will never achieve. You know, we laughed at it earlier. People promise it all the time. Do this and we'll have unity. Do this and we'll have unity. And you know what? We, we don't. But we can look at history. And while the church is not perfect, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been stopped. It has continued forward. And there has been unity within the gospel that the world and that our enemy has never been able to stop. See, listen to what Paul says. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What a blessed description. To be in Christ means that you are members of God's household. Now, to be a member of the household, what is he saying? He's saying you're part of the family. And everybody's welcome. 
All you have to do is believe in Christ. Put your faith in Christ and you are a part of the family. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are, all, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, our unity is not just one of, hey, we can get along with each other, though that is a remarkable accomplishment sometimes. It's more than just the fact that we can get along. It's that God is doing a continuing work in His people to ever draw us closer and closer and closer so that we become, as he says, a holy temple together that rises up to the Lord. Now, when's the last time you thought of yourself with your brothers and sisters in Christ as a holy temple to the Lord? That's what he is doing. That's what he is working in. And within this, what, what Christ did through the resurrection is create a new humanity of equals, we're all equal in every way. And it has nothing to do with how I look or the color of my skin or my gender. It has nothing to do with any of that. And it has everything to do with being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and who he is. And you know what? That foundation is never going to change. It is not shifting, it is not cracking, it is not failing. The gospel of Jesus Christ will never fail. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and will never fail. And so now, we live as members of the body of Christ with a, listen, a common spirit, a common purpose, a common God, a common savior, members of the same kingdom, members of the same household, this is where true unity comes from because it is based on truth and a unity based on a lie is not unity. It will always dissolve. How many fads have you seen come and go in your life? How many spiritual fads have you seen come and go in your life in which all of a sudden everybody's on board and it's like, hey, this is amazing. This is the truth. And then we find out, eh, it's not really the truth. And then what happens? We've forgotten about it and we've moved on. You know what we haven't forgotten about in this room? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's unchanging. It is the center point. Don't allow anything to distract you and think that it can offer you anything other than what Jesus can offer. There is nothing better. There is nothing higher. There is nothing more. You're not missing anything by simply focusing on the gospel. When truth is fixed, we then can experience true unity. And the only thing that is fixed is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Everything else is sifting, shifting sands. And so what does Paul say about this new kingdom? In Galatians 3.20, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Do you understand that was a big, like, earth-shattering revelation for a Jewish person of that time to be able to say, yes, I am exactly the same as the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are equal to me in this kingdom. 
You see, racial tensions have been a part of the world from the beginning. And this was every bit a racial statement. But you know what? That's not it. He says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. You know what that is? That is cultural and political differences. The slave had no rights. The slave was looked down on culturally as worthless. The free man had rights and had political power and was celebrated in Paul's culture. And you know what Paul says? He goes, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Cultural and political differences don't matter in Christ. And then he says there's no male and female. This is not today's transgenderism. I've heard people say that, and I'm just going to get that out there right now. That is not what Paul is saying. He is saying that God loves male and female equally. That he created us equally. He created us to be what we are. If you're male, you stay male. If you're female, you stay female. But there is no difference in God's kingdom that we all can come to God equally and be received equally. And therefore, must treat each other equally. And you know this happened in the early church? It was a weird thing. You can read some of Paul's writings and you see that and he's writing letters on how to deal with this because there were masters who owned slaves who would go to church and everybody's treated equally. And the slave who would normally, normally sit on the floor or sit in another room and stay out is welcomed and they're all sitting in the same chairs. And then they leave and go back to the master-slave relationship. And they're like, this is weird. How are we supposed to do this? And Paul's like, yeah, love each other. That's how you do it. And understand, every culture in the history of the world has had slavery as a part of its culture. It is only because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it was ended. That's it. If it weren't for the gospel's teaching on the equality of all people, slavery would still exist. And you know what? It does still exist in countries where the gospel is not prevalent. We are all equal. And so true unity cannot be rooted in anything other than truth. And what happens is when we believe a lie that our culture gives, that's where division comes from. It comes from sin. The lie that one group is superior to another. A lie that we are independent of God and we can make decisions for ourselves and don't need God. A lie. Those decisions create division and they always have. There's a lie in our culture now that we can become something that we can't. And you know what? That's the first lie. The serpent told Adam and Eve, you can become like God. Guess what? They weren't going to be like God. It was never going to happen. It was a lie chasing something that could not exist. And so all division in this world is built, is founded in an untruth, is founded in a lie. So if you want true unity, we have to be reconciled first to Christ, and then we have to be unified with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Friends, that is what was accomplished at the resurrection. Do you understand that? He was starting a whole new system that the world had never seen, a whole new creation, a whole new way of living, of us relating to each other that the world had never seen since 
the days in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. That's what was accomplished at the resurrection. And that's why we look at it and say, this is amazing. And so today, it's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is the new creation that he has given. And today, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that we have to remind ourselves over and over what, we, what it cost for us to have this new creation. It cost the life of the Son of God. And so as our, our deacons and ushers are going to be handing out the elements, I have a video I want you to watch. Jesus Christ, my sanity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. Bread of heaven broken for me. Cup of salvation held out to drink. Jesus, mystery, Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again, sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity. Christ, my clarity, bread of heaven broken for me, cup of salvation held out to drink, Jesus, me. Christ has died and Christ is risen, Christ will come again, Christ has died and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again.
The crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection is the center point of all history. It is. And it is the decision point for all of humanity. God has given us a choice. We rebelled against him. We sinned. We are children of wrath. We deserve death and judgment. But God has provided a way out simply by faith, but we have to make the choice. We choose to either live in our sin and affirm ourselves and stand before God in judgment, or we confess that we are sinners before God, ask His forgiveness, and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, accepting Him into our lives, and be forgiven and live with Him for all eternity. God has done all the work for us. But there is one thing he won't do for us, and that is to make us believe. We must choose to accept him. We must choose to believe. And today, as we take this Lord's Supper together, we remember that God has given everything that is necessary for salvation. He has withheld absolutely nothing. And so the night before his crucifixion, he met with his disciples. And he said, I've eagerly longed to share this with you. Because he knew he was about to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. And so he explained, he says, he took the bread and he says, this is my body. Which shall be broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the agreement that God was making with humanity. The salvation could be by faith. He says, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. And Jesus went to the cross willingly and gave his life. And then on the third day, exercised every bit of authority that God had given him, and he was raised back to life and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and is coming again one day to judge. Where will you be in that judgment? Will you be a part of his family, the new humanity where there is no longer any division? Or will you be on the side of humanity that says, we've got this, I don't need you, God. And be judged in your sins. 
If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do it from right where you're seated, seated right now. You simply have to pray and ask God, God, I believe that you, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. Come into my life right now. I confess you as Savior. It's that simple. If you have not done that, then as we take this Lord's Supper together, you pray that right where you are seated. So together, we will eat of the bread. And drink together of the cup. We're going to have a, a short time of, of song here, and by short, I mean short. But I'm going to be right down here on the floor. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior just now, come down and tell me. Get out of your seat and come down here and just look at me and say, I prayed to ask Jesus into my life. Or if you need help or you need to talk about it, come down and see me. Because this is a moment you don't want to pass without leaving this place knowing that you are born again. Let's stand together and sing.